1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 31 says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues and do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a more excellent way. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for uh, this word that speaks to our body, that speaks to the body of Christ as a whole. God, may it form and shape our understanding of what it means to be a body, to be a church. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to uh, our individual necessity to the body of Christ. And that you would open our eyes to the importance of diversity within the body of Christ. God, we thank you that you have so masterfully arranged every part of the body to honor you, to build up the body that it might be healthy. Lord, I yield this time to you. Lord, I yield to your spirit. I pray, God, that your spirit would speak through this message and not I. God, that your word would be proclaimed and not mine. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, I've got a question for you as we start. Um, What do you have to do to be healthy? What do you have to do to keep your body healthy? Hattie, do you know what you need to do to keep your body healthy? Any ideas? (laughs) Do you need to eat? Yeah? Okay. What are some what are some things that you need to do to keep your body healthy? This is a crowd participation. 
eat right, exercise, okay? That's it? That's all you need to do? Just eat right, yeah? Exercise, get enough rest. Sleep is pretty important. Christy has a thought, I think. Drink lots of water. Yes, water. Yes, very important. Eat right, exercise, water. What else? What else makes a healthy body? Any other ideas? Hygiene is very important. Yes, yes, for you and those around you. That's right. Do you think you need to take a bath to keep your body healthy, Hattie? No. <laughs> um, take a vacation is actually very important. Uh, Americans are known for not taking vacations well, uh, but it's actually vital for us to leave our normal course of things and, and get away and vacation. Helps our stress level, helps our body function properly. Um, sleep was mentioned also. Very important if we don't get enough sleep. Turns out that we don't stay healthy. Uh, it's not healthy for us to not sleep, which is pretty crazy to think that we require to shut down our brains for eight hours out of 24. It's like you're supposed to be totally off for eight hours of your whole... Anyway, but that's, that's what it is. It shows, our, shows a, a piece of um, our dependence on, on, <laughs> on the way the Lord has set things up. Um, another one, right? Don't do negative things for your body, right? Don't smoke, basically. Don't smoke anything <laughs> is what it comes down to. I was looking, I actually Googled, I said, is there anything healthy to smoke? And basically everything comes back, just don't smoke anything. Don't, don't do anything. Um, so exercise, eat right, don't put negative things into your body. Uh, work is actually good for our bodies, you know, to get out there and do something productive and use our bodies for a good purpose. Uh, all these things help compose a healthy body. Work actually helps you do the other things in, in, that, uh, in that as well, like eat. Turns out if you don't work, you don't eat. Uh, and so work is important on that respect as well. Uh, so there's a number of things that we have to do to keep our body healthy. And there are a great variety of things, right? There's some things that don't seem to relate to the other things, but they actually are very much close to each other. Uh, sleep and work don't seem to uh, want to coexist, but, but they do. They're, they're actually dependent upon weather, one another. The, the quality of our work is directly tied to the quality of our sleep, though the activities are completely different in their, uh, in their aspects. And so what we're going to see in today's passage is that the same is true for the church. There is a variety of things that are required to maintain a healthy body in the church, a healthy church. Um, and those two thing, two of those things are that they ought to be unified and diverse, that the body of Christ is both unified under one, that is Jesus, uh, and that it's diverse in the way that each of us relate to one another and build each other up and strengthen each other for the work the Lord has given us to accomplish. Um, So last week we started into this passage and uh, and we saw that that, uh, Paul was confronting actually a specific issue in the uh, the elevation by the Corinthians of the particular gift of the speaking in tongues. And so Paul starts out these, this first chapter 12 talking about the spiritual gifts as a whole to then launch into his corrective to the Corinthians about uh, speaking in tongues. The issue for the Corinthians with speaking in tongues is that they had taken this one function of the body, the gift of speaking in tongues, and elevated it to a place above all the rest of these giftings and all the rest of these uh, functions. And so it'd be like this. If, if, uh, if I valued sleep 
over all other things in my body and just said, I'm going to sleep 24 hours a day. Guess what? Turns out that's not healthy for your body to do that. Uh, You aren't going to be able to function very well. uh, And your body is actually going to uh, deteriorate if you sit in your bed all of your life and do nothing but try and sleep. Uh, You actually need to get out and work and do something with your body. Get your heart rate up. Get some exercise. Get some food. If you elevate one thing uh, and disregard the others, then you're going to have an unhealthy body. And the same is true as Paul is telling this to the Corinthians. You are elevating one gift, which it's a good gift, but if it is the only gift that you elevate, you are doing that at the neglect of these other things that are just as important for the health of the body. So last week he launched into uh, sort of a general overview of the, of the spiritual gifts and said, the Spirit of God is always going to say that Jesus is Lord. So first of all, any gift that's functioning by the Spirit of God is going to proclaim Jesus as Lord. It's going to bow to the Lordship of Jesus. He also said that uh, spiritual gifts come from a triune God. That is, that they come from a God that, that functions in its his own diversity. Um, and so we should... Uh, not be surprised by the fact that in the church there is diversity functioning in a uh, a single unit that is the church. Um, We also saw that spiritual gifts are uh, are for the common good to confront a variety of circumstances according to the will of God. Um, So this week we're going to see Paul uh, driving home these two points uh, that there's a reality of unity in the body of Christ and there's a reality of of diversity in the body of Christ, and that we individually are members of that body and should function as, uh, as such. And so Paul really sums up the whole message in the first three verses, okay? could probably preach the first three verses and then we'd be done, uh, because the whole message is right there in the first three verses of, uh, of this passage. He says, for just as, w- just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So there's one body made up of many parts. And though there are many, they form one body, right? This is, a, this is the idea that, that Paul is trying to advance, that there's a single body, that body functions under Jesus, but it's made up of many pieces. And though there are many pieces, they function as one, uh, one body, he says, so it is with Christ. He's going to launch into two, basically two components of that. First is that you are all unified, though you are many. Second is, uh, though you are many, you are unified, right? There's a unity piece and a diversity piece that are there. Uh, actually, it's interesting if you, they, they sort of seem like the same concept in a way, but they're actually sort of separate, um, but they can't function without each other. So uh, you actually cannot have unity if you don't have diversity, if, if, you don't, if, if you're going to unify around something, that means that there has to be something that differentiates you from one another, right? If, if, if you all are the same, there's no need for unity. You're, you're uniform, right? And so it's not uniformity. It's unity because there is diversity. These two realities exist. And so Paul is saying, listen, unity exists because you have the same experience under Jesus, but diversity exists as well because you come from these various backgrounds. So those are the two things he's going to advance here. Uh, so he says, he lines those out in verses 13 and 14. Uh, first, he says, shows us that, that there is unity under Christ. He says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into the body, uh, into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves are free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. 
All he's saying there is that we've all come to faith in Jesus through the same Spirit, okay? Through the same Holy Spirit, we were drawn to affection to our Lord Jesus. And so our salvation experience has been identical, okay? Uh, despite the different backgrounds that we have come from, and different heritages, different uh, socioeconomic classes, different ethnicities, uh, different family origins, all these differences, we all have come to find this one fact that we were once sinners, and now we are saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit has revealed that to us, has changed our hearts, that we might look on Jesus and say, your Lord you are Savior. And so that has happened for every Christian, no matter what background you are. That is our unified salvation experience. Now you can debate about, you know, various ways that that is supposed to occur, but I would challenge you in that, that there is no specific way that it should occur, uh, but there are a variety of ways that we are stirred unto affection to the Lord. Uh, Some say, you know, some get on this debate of, well, if you're baptized, then you receive the Holy Spirit, and now you're fully saved. And some people say, well, you've received the Holy Spirit, and then you need to go get baptized, and then you're saved. Or some people say that uh, you, need, you actually don't need baptism, you just need to say that you're saved. And those, so there's all these different things, right? But the reality is, the Holy Spirit has led us to have faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's the point. The one Spirit has led us to find Jesus Christ as our salvation, as the one way that we can be reconciled to the Father. So Paul is saying, you've all uh, been uh, in one spirit, were baptized into one body. You all have drank from the one spirit. Your salvation experience has been identical. You are unified. And the second thing he gets at here in verse 14 uh, of this sort of summary passage is, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Okay? Again, advancing, there is diversity. You've all come in one salvation experience, but there is diversity in your function. There are many parts that make up this one body. So Paul will go on to address both, both of these things, the reality of unity and the reality of diversity, uh, with two illustrations. Uh, and he's going to show us first the, the reality of unity in verses 15 to 20. He uses these uh, illustrations of the body, verse 15 Starting in verse 15, he says, uh, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Paul is really setting up just a, <laughs> a simple illustration for us to say, Listen, even if the hand were to say, because I'm not a foot, I'm not a part of the body, that doesn't change the reality of things, right? That's absurd for the hand to even say that, or the ear to even say that because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. Uh, Paul is saying that the reality is they are part of the body. Whether they're thinking they should be like another part or not, the reality is that they are a part of the body. So the illustration is that uh, these, these uh, body parts are saying, uh, well, I'm not a hand or an eye, so I don't belong to the body. And Paul is saying, that's absurd. You're part of the body. <laughs> you can't like separate yourself uh, because you don't have the same function as another. It's really just an absurd illustration. There, you know, no hand is going to say to the foot that I'm not a part of the body because 
well, because I'm not a foot. It's like, no, no, you're still part of the body. It just is the reality of things. It's how things function. He says, it's absurd to say it in that way, but that's exactly how the uh, Corinthians are sort of functioning. They say, well, I guess since I don't have tongues, like I'm not part of the body, you know, you know, and so uh, they're looking at the elevation of one gift or another and say, since I don't have that, I guess I'm not a part of it. And Paul's saying, no, you're a part of it by your one salvation experience in Jesus. You know that you have been saved through the blood of Jesus, and that's all you need to know. He's using you in a different way. And so uh, Paul says there's a reality of unity that is there. In verses 18 and 20, he goes on to say this. Um, he says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. God says, don't worry about what the other parts of the body are doing. That's not your concern. God has arranged you and every other part of the body as he has chosen to arrange them. And so function as you have been made to function. If you're a hand, grasp things as a hand. If you're a foot, take that body where it needs to go. If you're an ear, listen for what needs to hear. You know, all these parts are supposed to function as God has arranged them, not to look at the other and say, well, I'm not a hand, so, you know, I guess I'm not a part of the body. Like, no, we're not going to all look the same, but we are going to be unified under one salvation experience in Jesus, but we are going to be different. So there's a a reality of unity um, that is there. We know this from all sorts of passages, that there's one experience of faith. If you look at Ephesians, there's a couple of passages that speak to this. Uh, Ephesians 1, chapter, verses 13 and 14 say, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That is the unity that we have. We all have come to the knowledge. Uh, we've all been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He's our guarantee of inheritance, not the type of function that we have in the body. The type of function that we have in the body has been given to us individually by God. Our salvation, rather, is in uh, the promised Holy Spirit, who is our guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It's the gospel that makes us part of the body of Christ, not our gifting that makes us part of the body of Christ. It's the gospel. So Ephesians 4, verse 4 to 7 says this, There's one body and one spirit, just as you are called to be one uh, to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The fact is that we are all have come to Jesus in a unified manner. We've come to find him as our Lord and our Savior. How that plays out for us in the giftings that we have is up to the Lord. He has arranged us in certain ways and chosen to arrange us in those ways that we might support one another. Not all have the same gifts. Not all have the same uh, function and and, uh, spiritual journey, okay? Uh, But all have come to faith in God through Jesus Christ. And so uh, that is our unified salvation experience. There's a reality of unity. We have come to the body through Jesus. So uh, 
So Paul lines it out pretty plainly for us. And, and so if unity of the body is a given, if we are truly unified by Christ and Christ alone, uh, then what about the reality of diversity? Paul addresses that next in verses 21 to 26. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, uh, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Paul says, uh, you know, someone over here functioning, and I think this is what he's getting at with the Corinthians, someone here functioning with the gift of tongues cannot say to the rest of the body, say, I don't need you because I've got the chief pinnacle experience of spiritual, uh, spiritual gifting. And so that, that part of the body can't say to the other part of the body, I don't, I don't need you. You know, just in the same way that the hand or that the uh, eye can't say to the foot, "Oh, I don't need my feet because I've got these eyes, which are awesome, and they can do all sorts of cool things." Well, guess what, eyes? Uh, you're not going anywhere without your feet. <laughs> you're going to be sitting in a chair, rolling around. Uh, you know, like I mean, just imagine that sort of picture, right? If all the body were an eye, what would that look like? You're not going to accomplish much of anything as, as that. And so that's the absurd sort of thing that Paul is saying. The eye can't say to the hand, uh, I have no need of you. The head can't say to the feet, I have no need of you. The body needs every part to function in a healthy manner. Um, <clears throat> Paul says in, in uh, verse 22, the weaker, it seems even the weaker, uh, are indispensable in the body. What he's talking about there is that uh, the organs, right, are vital to your living, right? If your heart dies out, well, you're, you're dead, you know? You stop functioning. <laughs> well, guess what? It's also one of the weakest organs or weakest pieces of your body. It's protected by a ribcage because if it were to fall out or be exposed in some manner, then you'd be at great risk, right? Uh, and so, so though it's weaker in its sort of ability to sustain injury, uh, it is indispensable to your functioning, your bones and your muscles can take a lot bigger beating. And so they're stronger, right, to take on, you know, if someone hits you or, or, or if you run into something or whatever. Uh, but if, you're, if your heart were to run into a wall, you know, or if someone to punch your heart, like, you'd be in a lot of trouble. Um, but Paul says, again, the weaker, quote, uh, things are indispensable, right? So even though they have a, some sort of weaker identity, they're actually indispensable because of the way they function within your body. There's a reality of diversity. We also see uh, a second point in this in verse 23 to 24 in the way that we treat each piece of the body, right? Verses 23 to 24 say, and on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. The fact is, Paul's saying, listen, You've got pieces of your body that you treat differently because of their function and their reality. And in the same way, the church has body, you know, pieces of the body that function in a different manner. So the illustration here is that uh, your body has a diversity of function, and without that diversity of function, it would not be a whole body. And he shows us in a number of ways that uh, that, that one part of the body can't say to another, I don't need you. One part of the body can't say, well, you're weaker uh, because actually that, quote, weaker part is indispensable to the body. And he goes, goes up them even harder and says, listen, you even treat parts of your body differently than other parts. Your unpresentable parts, guess what? You cover them up. You wear clothes, okay? You don't present them. 
Uh, but your presentable parts, you, you leave, you know? We don't cover our faces, right? Here are our faces. We all see our faces. They're not covered with anything, right? And so there are presentable parts of our body and unpresentable parts of our body. Paul says there is a variety of pieces in our body. And that is a good thing. It is good for our bodies to be diverse in that way. So what's the takeaway here? Um, the problem in Corinth is that they elevated one thing, that is speaking in tongues, over all else. The point of saying, I have no need, uh, to the point of saying, I have no need of the other gifts. Again, they're elevating this one gift and saying, this is the gift that we should strive for. It is the pinnacle of spiritual experience in the church. And Paul is saying, no, that is not the gift that everyone should strive for. Is it a good gift? Yes, it is. It is a good gift. But these gifts are just as important and vital to the body. Though they may seem weaker, they are indispensable to the body. There's a reality of unity in the body. There's a reality of diversity in the body. So the question is, what do these realities mean for uh, members of the body of Christ? We see this in verses 27 to 31. Paul concludes his passage by saying, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and you're individually members of it. What a beautiful statement, right? You are the body of Christ. You are unified under Jesus, but you are individually a part of it. There's a diversity there, right? You aren't uniformly a part of it. You are individually a part of it. You are part of the body, body of Christ in an individual manner. You've come as a Jew or a Greek. You've come as a slave or a free person. You've come in great wealth or great poverty. You've come uh, with great family heritage or without great family heritage. It doesn't matter. You've come to Christ, all of you. You are the body of Christ and you're individually members of it. And God has poured out his gifts individually to you. See, just like a healthy body needs a variety of things, we, uh, there are a variety of gifts that have been appointed by God for the church to be healthy. We saw in those verses, uh, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating various kinds of tongues. The fact is, in the body of Christ, we need vision from the apostles. We need exhortation from the prophets. We need instruction from teachers. We need healing. We need miracles. We need help, and we need guidance. The fact is, we need a host of other things, too. Again, we've said that this passage is, uh, Paul lines out a, a list of giftings that we need, and he says, this is just a small piece of it. This is not everything that we need. This is part of it. This is not the comprehensive list, but these are the things we need. The point that he's trying to get across to us is that we need a host of things. But most importantly, we need each other. The particular types of gifting aren't the things we should be caught up on. It's the particular individuals that are part of the body that we should be uh, striving for, desiring of. We need a host of things, and most importantly, we need 
each other. The fact is the spiritual gifts that God has given to the church only come through his people who are immersed in the spirit of God. The body cannot be whole unless it has people who are functioning in the spirit of God and displaying those gifts one to another, bringing forth vision, bringing forth exhortation, bringing forth uh, healing, bringing forth helping. It comes through people who have been changed through Jesus Christ. That's the only way spiritual gifts are utilized. It comes through those who are immersed in the Spirit of God. The fact is the knowledge of the Spirit is good, uh, but desiring to yield to the Spirit is essential. We can know all we want to know about these various gifts and how they function and have great knowledge about them. But the fact is we need to desire yielding to the Spirit in these gifts. Our pursuit should be, Lord, use me. Use me however you want me. If it's with the gifting of tongues, great. If it's with prophecy, great. If it's with helping and administrating, great. Lord, use me. That's all our cry should be. We should desire gifts that edify and build up the body of Christ that are for the common good. The fact is there's too much uh, to be done for us to go alone. The Christian journey is not meant to be walked alone. It's meant to be walked in a corporate manner despite whatever circumstances we're facing that we come together to worship Jesus and encourage and strengthen one another in our faith. There's too much to be done for us to go alone. This is a message that has to be proclaimed uh, to us in America. The fact is we view religion as an individual experience so many times. We think, well, I'm just going to go, I'm going to get uh, a good message, and I'm going to hear a, a little bit you know, about the Bible, and I'm going to be encouraged in, in my faith, and then I am going to go and do this, this and such uh, with my life. And what Paul is saying, it is not about the individual experience. That's good, and that's a part of it, but Paul says, you are the body of Christ, and you are individually members of it. Too often, I've heard people say, well, you know, I can just listen to my podcast and, uh, and get the word that way, and I actually just, I, I'm a church unto myself, and so I don't, I don't want to be a part of organized religion because, you know, it's, uh, it's done by man, and it's all broken, and, and I'd say, I, I mean, I, I hear your point, you know, certainly there's brokenness in, in human uh, uh, organizations. But the Lord has seen fit for us to corporately gather in worship unto Jesus. He has seen fit to do that. And so instead of reacting against negative experiences with the church, we should strive for positive experiences with the body of Christ. You can so oftentimes say, well, I'm just never going to be vulnerable to anyone again. I'm always just going to pursue Jesus on my own and just do my own thing and be a Lone Ranger Christian. And Paul's saying, that's not what this is about. I have poured out my blessing upon you. I have come to sacrifice my life for you that you might sacrifice to those around you. Are you going to be despised? Are you going to come across circumstances that are difficult? Are you going to uh, be buffeted by, uh, by people? Yes, you are. It's, go, it's not going to be easy because we're all people. 
but it's so vital for us to be a healthy body. Paul drills this home in verses 29 to 30. He says, If these are the things that a healthy body of Christ needs, then do you all possess them all? No. He says, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues and do all interpret? The answer is definitively no. If a healthy body functions with all these giftings, do you, oh Lone Ranger Christian, have them all? No, you don't. You need the body, and the body needs you. The gifts function in concert with one another. The body of Christ is a body of people individually that are members of it. And so there's too much for us to do to be a healthy body that we would have this perspective of going alone. We must go together. We must go together in these things. So this is my prayer. Um, We believe that there is a community here that is desperate for hope. And I'm talking, you know, specifically about Clearwater right now. There's a community here that is desperate for hope. There are people that have placed their hope in any other thing except Jesus Christ. They've placed their hope in things that are um, manipulating them, deceiving them, uh, chaining them. They've placed their hope in things that are making them addicted. They've placed their hope in money. They've placed their hope in fame. They've placed their hope in, uh, in pride and power. And those things fail. There's a community here that desperately needs hope. And we believe that that hope comes from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. We also believe, as, as Paul has plainly lined out for us, that we are the body of Christ. That our call is to be a body of Christ. That proclaims the gospel plainly to our community. Proclaims this eternal hope to our community. And so let's pray for God to demonstrate hope to the lost through the body of Christ.